and Colossians chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. Time change Sunday. It's time for everybody to wake up, all right? Just give me the next four hours of your attention and we'll be okay. Everybody's like, oh no, he just said four hours. Hopefully I won't be that long. If we're that long, you can go to sleep after, all right? Colossians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 1. While you're turning there, I'm just wondering, what do you think it takes to win? What are your thoughts on that? I don't necessarily have to answer that, but what do you think it takes to win? Think about it just for a minute. Let it sit on your mind for a little while. What does it take to win? Some of you will have different opinions. Some of you have different things. But let me just break it down for you in very basic um, ideas, okay? What does it take to win a hockey game? Okay, it, you not, don't be the Leafs, all right? And you'll win every hockey game just about. Uh, the Leafs are actually doing the best I think they've done since I've been alive. And uh, so congratulations to them. They're even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Let that sink in for just a second. <laughs> what does it take to win a hockey game? Well, first of all, very basically, you got to show up. Okay? You got to show up. And when the Leafs don't show up, it's frustrating, isn't it? But when they show up, it can be very good. What does it take to win a hockey game? You have to show up to practices. You have to practice hard. You have to work hard at it. You have to sweat, right? You got to sweat. You're not going to win a hockey game if you don't sweat. You have to push yourself. You have to uh, hone your skills. You have to get better and better. I mean, hockey players are constantly working on their stick handling skills and skating and stopping all kinds of different drills that they're doing to get better and better. You have to hone your skills and get better. You have to work at it. Work. It takes a lot of hard work. You have to adapt. One of my favorite stories of, of Wayne Gretzky is well, as a kid, he would sit there with a, a piece of paper that had the ice rink drawn on it. And everywhere the puck would go, he would just follow it with his pen, constantly following. And everywhere that it intersected was where he was going to be all the time, he was telling his dad. I love that story. And as Wayne Gretzky played, he would constantly be ahead of the puck, adapting to how the puck was moving because he already already knew where he was going. He had spent a great deal of time learning how to play the game of hockey. So we understand that in sports, those are the things that you have to do to win. Obviously, we can talk about teamwork. We can talk about all kinds of other things in order to win. But it really, those are the basics of it. So let me ask you this question. What does it take to win a war? Win a war. Praise the Lord, we've not been in a war in quite a long time. But what does it take to win a war? Well, first of all, you got to show up right? You got to show up. You have to work hard. You have to train hard. You have to sweat. You have to make your heart beat out of your chest. That's one of the exercises that they'll make you do is they'll make you run a long way and then make you shoot a long way because you got to get used to your heart pounding out of your chest with the adrenaline running of, 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 of a battle. You have to hone your skills and progressively get better and better. You want to be the best soldier on the ground. You have to work at it. And every soldier knows that he must adapt to the changing situation. The battle, battles and wars in Afghanistan were much different than the battles and wars in even Vietnam. Very different. World War II was different than World War I. Everything is very different. And so we must adapt. Things must change. Let me ask you, what does it take to win in life? What does it take to win in life? Well, first of all, you have to show up. 
Okay? Here's half the battle, right? Getting out of bed is half the battle. Showing up for life. Um, I, I don't want to adult is a t-shirt now, right? I don't feel like adulting today, right? Well, you've got to show up if you're going to win in life. You have to work hard. You have to challenge yourself. You have to hone your skills and get progressively better and better. You have to push yourself to work hard. You have to adapt. I mean, life is constantly changing. Too much to our chagrin, it changes far faster than we ever want it to change. But yet, it's constantly changing. If you're going to win in life, you're going to have to adapt. Let me ask this final question. What does it take to win in our spiritual lives? What does it take to win in our spiritual lives? Well, first of all, you have to show up. You have to show up. You have to work at it. You have to work hard. You have to be challenged. My parents always used to say that we need a good kick in the pants, right? Sometimes we need, need to be challenged in our spiritual life. We have to hone our skills and progressively get better and better. The Bible says that every single one of us has been gifted with something. That's a spiritual gifting the Lord has given us, and it comes almost quite naturally to us. But listen, if you want to win spiritually, you need to hone that skill and continue to get better and better. Sometimes you have to be pushed. Sometimes you have to work at it, and always we have to adapt. You see, the interesting thing about our spiritual lives is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You see, Jesus Christ never changes. So what do we have to adapt to? Listen, here's the problem, is we oftentimes need to adapt ourselves. As times change, our lives change, we are pulled in different directions constantly. And our flesh lusteth over here, and our flesh lusteth over there, and we're constantly tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine the Bible talks about. And so we need something to moor us, to bring us back to where, to solidify us. Again, bring us back to that foundation. And so constantly we need to be adapting ourselves and bringing ourselves back to the Word of God. Very simply, what does it take to win? Very simply, it takes investment. Investment. Investment takes, oh, it takes investment to win. I want you to think about all of these things. If you're going to show up, that takes an investment. Now, I think if we're all honest, maybe I'm the only one going to be honest here this morning. I don't know. You can crucify me later. But I want you to understand, I hate getting out of bed every morning. I hate it. It's so frustrating to me. You can think I'm lazy. You can think all kinds of different things about me. But I just don't like getting out of bed. I would much rather sleep until I don't want to sleep anymore. Right? The alarm clock bothers me. It's a stupid thing going off all the time. And I, I, never, I, I always snooze. Always. Snooze is my favorite friend. And so we have all of these things that like are inconvenient, that are frustrating. But listen, it's an investment, it's time, it's energy for me to get up in the morning and show up for life. And show up for Jesus Christ in my spiritual life. But I want you to notice something else that it takes to win. It takes investment to win, but investment always includes suffering. Hold on. Let me say that again. It takes investment to win, but investment always includes suffering. Now, we need to define what suffering means. Suffering means this, from Webster's Dictionary, to feel or undergo pain of mind or body. To feel or undergo pain of mind or body. Here's the second one, to bear 
what is inconvenient. To bear what is inconvenient. Now, before you think this is a millennial's definition of suffering, this Webster's Dictionary was 1912. Okay, so you think, oh, just a little bit of inconvenience, that's not real suffering, but that's the definition of suffering, to bear what is inconvenient. Now, let's, let's just go back through these things, shall we? To bear what is inconvenient, showing up. Again, call me lazy, call me whatever you want, but it's inconvenient for me to get out of bed every morning. It's inconvenient. I don't like it. It's inconvenient to work hard. It, in fact, when you work hard, oftentimes you get sore, right? And there's a, this pain of mind and body, sweating, pushing yourself, getting your heart rate up, adapting, all of these things. You know what they're doing? They're getting us out of our comfort zone. And they're putting us into a place that's inconvenient and sometimes painful. Sometimes painful. When you are, are working hard and you smash your thumb on something, that's inconvenient and painful. When you're working hard and you dislocate your shoulder or pull your bicep off your arm, some of those things, they're inconvenient. It's terrible. It's not fun. These, all these things are, are inconvenient, and these are, quote, suffering. So investment takes suffering. If you're going to win in life, it is going to take suffering. So I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled this, When Investments Suffer. When Investments Suffer. Now, most of you are thinking, ah, don't say the word suffer. We avoid suffering at all costs. We avoid it like the plague, literally. I don't want to hear it. If you say the word, something bad's going to happen, right? That's the way we look at suffering. There's not one of us in their right mind that volunteers for suffering. Hey, sign me up. I'm in on that. This is going to be so exciting. I'm going to suffer today. Not exactly what we think of. All of us want to shield ourselves from suffering. We want to keep our children, we want to keep our grandchildren away from suffering. We don't want them to suffer. Again, we avoid it at all costs. But can I inform you of something? And you can disagree with me just for a minute and then I'll prove myself right in a little bit. Suffering is inevitable. Suffering is inevitable. So you're going to suffer one way or another. The, 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 just, just hear me out, though. This is the difference between proactive and reactive. There's a difference between proactive suffering and reactive suffering. Let me illustrate. This is an extremely simple illustration, and it has to do with your vehicle. There's this wonderful thing called an oil change. Okay? If you've never heard of it, you need to look it up. Okay? An oil change for a typical vehicle will give or take cost you about 50 bucks. Okay, give or take. I just like round numbers. It's easy to do math and round numbers. So $50 in the typical vehicle, again, needs to be, the oil needs to be changed every 5,000 kilometers or every three months. Typical, okay? So now if you do a little bit of simple math, it would cost you about $200 a year to have your oil changed on a regular basis. $200 a year. Now, if you're like me and you're cheaper than anything else on the planet, you're thinking, 200 bucks a year, I could do a lot with 200 bucks a year. Okay, so you're, you're thinking, you're the opposite, right? You're like, nope, I'm not changing my oil. I'm not doing that. I'm not going down that road. I'm just never going to change my oil. 
I don't want to spend the 200 bucks a year. I want to save 200 bucks a year. Well, the interesting thing about this is eventually your engine will start to make funny noises, right? It'll start to tick a little bit, and then it'll start to clang a little bit, and then it'll start smoking really bad, and then it just won't run at all. It'll just stop. The, again, typical engine will last between 15,000 and 20,000 kilometers before it stops. 15,000 to 20,000 kilometers. Again, let's just say it lasts you a year. So you're thinking, ha, no oil changes. My engine will last 15 to 20,000 kilometers. Perfect. Does anybody know how much it takes to replace an engine? Again, if you're really handy and you can do it yourself, you might get it cheaper. But again, typical vehicle, depending on your make and model, you would spend somewhere between $2,500 to $3,500 to replace your engine. Now, is anybody following this? Okay. Replacing your engine is reactive. Changing your oil is proactive. Both cost something. Both are, quote, suffering. So here's the question. Do you want to spend $200 a year or do you want to spend $2,500 a year? $200 or $2,500? If anybody wants to spend $25, please come see me. I will change your oil for $2,300 a year. I'll save you $200. I would love to do it. Okay, so that we're, we're all like pastor yeomans. That's simple economics. But what I want you to understand is that's so simple, but that's the same thing in our health. Think about it. If you do nothing for 50 years, I mean absolutely nothing, but sit on the couch and eat Cheetos all day, how are you going to look? How are you going to feel? Listen, you are going to have some serious major problems with your health. But if you will just eat right, and exercise just a little bit, just a little bit every day, you will see great gains in your life and you will have a much healthier life. Listen, it's inconvenient every single day. It's inconvenient to have your oil changed. But man, does it ever pay off in the long run. Man, your, your engine's gonna last a lot longer and your heart's gonna last a lot longer. I want you to understand this too. The same is true in your spiritual life. The same is true in your spiritual life. You see, the Bible says that you can suffer now or a little bit, or you can suffer for eternity. You can suffer now for a little bit, or you can suffer for eternity. You see, this is the choice that we get to make. We can make the choice of being proactive or reactive. The fact of the matter is you're going to pay. You're going to suffer at some point. You just get to choose how much. Spiritually, so many of us are not invested in the kingdom of God because we want to live our lives right now. Again, we want to live our lives the way that we want to right now. We want to, we want to buy that thing and we want to spend time doing this and we want to play our games and do our, our things the way that we want to do them. But so many of us don't care about the future. And honestly, hear me, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to let you know that it is going to cost you in the long run. If you live your life the way that you want to right now, it's going to cost you in the long run. It's going to cost us either way. The question is how much? Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says this. Mortify therefore your members. 
This is a, a, an imperative sentence. Do it. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake, watch this, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Do you see that? You have a choice. You can mortify, you can put to death, or God's wrath will come upon. Do you notice that? Do you see that? Now let me ask you a question. Whose wrath would you rather face? Your wrath or God's wrath? Whose wrath would you rather face? Personally, I like myself. I'm very nice to myself. I, I, I don't want to see God's wrath poured upon me. What I'm trying to get you to see is that you can mortify yourself now and put to death now or you can face God's wrath in time to come. It's going to happen. You're going to suffer one way or another. And I realize this is not an exciting message so far. None of us like to hear about suffering. None of us like to think about it. But the reality is that we need to pay attention to this. Hopefully you're in Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 21 with me. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. The Bible says this, because that, when, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither was thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And look what they did in verse 23, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like unto corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Watch this now. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. You see, basically, listen, they began looking at God and saying, listen, we don't care what God thinks. We want to live our lives the way that we want to live them. We want to do what we want to do. And God says, okay, you go right ahead and do that. The Bible says he gave them up to uncleanness. It says where in this passage, in this chapter, God gave them up to their vile affections. You go right ahead. You go right ahead and do that, and that word dishonor their bodies, their own bodies between themselves. Basically, you're going to pay for it with sickness. You're going to pay for it with death. You're going to suffer the consequences of your decisions. The reality is this. You can play the game. You can have fun in your life right now. And you can, uh, I mean, live life up and think you're having fun. The Bible says that there's pleasure in sin for a season. But the payday's, payday's coming. You're going to, you will suffer. You're going to suffer the consequences of your decisions. You're going to suffer one way or another. The question is, do you want to suffer proactively or reactively? a simple question and really honestly none of us none of us likes the thought of suffering and pain none of us do again as i said before none of us are signing up for that super pumped that this is the way we're going none of us are like that but i want you to notice something with me in colossians chapter one paul has a different perspective here in colossians chapter one on suffering. 
Now remember again, throughout this chapter, Paul has been encouraging the Colossian believers, listen, he, he says, listen, I really, really want you to ruthlessly keep the faith. I want you to be so ruthless. I want you to sacrifice. I want you to suffer a little bit. I want things to be a little bit inconvenient. I want you to keep the faith. Don't be distracted by the things that are going on in the world. Ruthlessly keep the faith. And he says, I want you to radically live for Jesus. Again, that goes against who we are. That's inconvenient. It's a bit of suffering. And I want you to relentlessly give thanks. Again, that goes against who we are. It's a little bit of suffering. All of these things, Paul's saying, listen, I want you to do these things. So let's look at his perspective on suffering. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Verse 24. Look at what Paul says here. He says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up that which is beyond, behind excuse me, of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake which is the church. I want you to stop right there. Did you notice that? He used rejoice in sufferings in the same sentence. Rejoice in sufferings. And he's, he's like, now I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for you. So Paul's perspective was not doom and gloom. His perspective was woohoo. I get to suffer. I am rejoicing in my sufferings for you. But not only that, look at the rest of the verse. And he says, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ. So it's as if he had wasted some of his life. And he had to fill that up because it was behind. His payment was behind. And so it was as if Paul went through much, much more in a shorter amount of time so that he could catch up to where he was supposed to be. Again, if you know anything about investing, it's far better to begin investing early in life than it is to start later. You can, in fact, put more away later and still not end up with the same amount if you put less while you're younger. I know it's really confusing, but it's called compounding interest. Compounding interest is a wonderful, marvelous thing. And Jesus says, listen, if you come to me and you will invest in me, I will return unto you a hundredfold. Compounding interest. The sooner you do it, the better. It's investing. And Paul says, listen, I'm rejoicing. I want to get caught up in the afflictions of God. Who wants to get caught up in the afflictions of God? Paul, you are such a weird guy. Let's walk through this just a little bit and understand why he can rejoice in these sufferings. I want you to understand, first of all, why he suffered. Why did he suffer? He suffered because these Colossians were Gentiles. Very simply, let's go over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Just because they were Gentiles? Yes. First Timothy chapter, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter 1. I said first, I apologize, it's Second Timothy chapter 1. Look with me in verse 11. Second Timothy 1 and verse 11, the Bible says this. He's talking about Christ and God and, and living his life through the gospel in verse 10. Verse 11, he says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Watch verse 12 now. For the which cause I also suffer these things. 
Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believe, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Here's the reason Paul was suffering. He was suffering because he was teaching and preaching Jesus Christ, not only to the Jews, but mostly to the Gentiles. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So you say, wow, that seems a little odd. What you need to understand is that when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was teaching and preaching something different than what the Jews were teaching. See, the Jews were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting someone to come and remove them out of this Roman rule, to free them, to allow them to have this freedom that they so desperately long for. You can see that all throughout the, all throughout the New Testament and the Gospels. Are you coming now to set up your kingdom? And Jesus comes and begins teaching and preaching and saying, listen, this is not about the kingdom. This is about me dying. This is about me being God, being God's son and dying for your sins. Something completely different. Obviously, the Jews got upset by that. The Jews got upset by by that and end up crucifying Jesus Christ. And here is the same. The majority of Paul's persecutions, guess who they came from? majority came from the Jews. Take, just take some time. Do a Bible study through the book of Acts. Look up Paul's persecutions. You will find out that majority of the persecution came from Jews in all kinds of different cities because they did not want him to preach and teach Jesus Christ. And they definitely did not want the dirty, rotten Gentiles having any religion whatsoever. They, they're pagans. And so here they are constantly making Paul suffer, persecuting Paul, just destroying him. Paul says, I rejoice. You know why? You know why? Because Paul was not concerned with the flesh. Paul was concerned with the spiritual. Paul was far more concerned with the spiritual than he was the flesh. You might ask this question. Why in the world, why in the world is there suffering in the world? Why in the world is there suffering in the world? I want you to write this down. Suffering ultimately comes from sin. Suffering ultimately comes from sin. You see, what we don't realize is there is a war going on inside of us. There is a war between our flesh and our spirit. They're constantly fighting. They're constantly going against each other. They, they cannot be together. It is, they're polar opposites, and they're fighting against each other. There's a war. Our flesh is doing what we want to do. Our spirit is doing what God wants us to do. What we want to do is sin. Let me say that again. What we want to do is sin. Let me say that again. What we want to do is sin. Unless it lines up with what God wants us to do. You see, there's a problem. What we want to do and what God wants to do are often different. I'll just give you a small example of the constant battle that's going on. The Holy Spirit will prick your heart and just say, hey, why don't you give that person a call and just encourage them? There's a, this, this, this battle will go on inside of you. Well, maybe, the, maybe they're having a nap. Well, it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. Why would they be having a nap? Well, I I wouldn't want to bother them. Maybe they're busy. Well, just call them. 
You can't, you, it can't hurt to try. And there's this concept, yes, I should, no, I shouldn't, yes, I should, no, I shouldn't, yes, I should, no, I shouldn't. It's as small as a phone call. I mean, it gets bigger, far bigger than that. I mean, where do I live? Who do I marry? Uh, what church do I attend? I mean, listen, there are major decisions of life that are constant battles, and we just don't know. But it's so minuscule. And if you'll take the time and think about this, you'll see it constantly in your life. Constantly this battle going on. Let's look at a few verses here. Galatians 4.29. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. There's persecution going on in the flesh and the spirit. Now this particular instance is talking about Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac, the father of the Jews. Ishmael, the father of the Arab nations. Hello? Anybody notice that there's still a war going on? But this is not specifically talking about a fleshly battle. It's talking about that spiritual battle. The flesh and the spirit warring against each other. Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Man, Romans chapter 7, Paul's like, man, there's these things that I really want to do for Christ, but I don't do them. And there's these things I really want to stay away from because they're fleshly, but I keep going to them. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He's just like, there's this constant war going on inside of me. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's because of sin. Sin is constantly, listen, if you want to live godly, you are going to be counterculture. You're going to be against your flesh. We're going through in our small groups a book, Counterculture, how the gospel is different than what the culture tells us. Sin is the problem. And we are in a constant battle because of sin. By the way, you will pay for your sin. One way or another. You're going to pay for sin. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The fact of the matter is this. We are going to pay. We are going to suffer the consequences. Suffering happens because there's a battle going on. Again, if we're honest with ourselves and look at ourselves, we will notice that battle going on and taking place. So the question is very simply this. Proactive suffering or reactive suffering? Proactive suffering or reactive suffering? Let me put it to you a different way. Proactive investing or reactive investing? By the way, do a Google search on proactive investing and reactive investing. Every investment advisor will tell you never be reactive. It's emotionally based. Oh no, the stock market's crashing. I got to pull all my money out. And you lose all your money. Oh no, the stock market's going up. I got to get everything back in. And you're constantly, if you will, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. But be proactive. Look ahead. Look forward. See beyond. Don't be reactive. Be proactive. Listen, proactive is better in just about everything. Proactive maintenance, proactive health, proactive in your spiritual life. The question is this, 
Do you want to rejoice in your suffering or do you want to regret it? Do you want to rejoice in your suffering or do you want to regret it? If you're in the habit of writing things down, write this down, please. Suffering is only enjoyable when it is for something bigger than you. Something is, excuse me, suffering is only enjoyable when it is for something bigger than you. Again, let me illustrate. Losing weight, being fit, right? Most of you are like, well, that's for me. It's not really that enjoyable. But I'll be honest with you, I've been starting to work out a little bit. Not for me, but because my son's getting older and I really don't want him to beat me in hockey. Like, I really don't. So far, so good, just for the record. He's, he's eight, okay? So far, so good. But understand, that's, that's not for me. Listen, I want longevity of life. I, I want to I feel good for my family. I want to give my very best to my family. Listen, I want to give my very best to God in a physical sense. I want to live my life so that I'm not always down and out and tired and weak and can't make it and, and struggling with my health. Listen, I want to give God my very best physically, so losing weight is not for me. And man, when it's not for you, it's far more enjoyable to get up in the morning and go for a run. It's far more enjoyable to get those weights out and lift them. It's far more enjoyable because you have a greater goal in mind. Working hard at practice for your team is bigger than you. It's for your team. It's for your sport. It's to propel that. Winning at life. Listen, we miss this so much. Winning at life is so much bigger than you. People who win at life, listen, they are trying to make a difference in the world. They are trying to make a difference in the world. They are not living life for themselves right now. People that win at life leave a legacy. And not to say, oh, look at what he did. But man, they changed the world. Listen, when you win at life, you don't live it for yourself. And that's going to take a little bit of suffering. Winning it spiritually is bigger than you. Winning at life is, or spiritual life is bigger than you. You are investing in the lives of other people for the kingdom of God. Listen, here's, here's again spiritually where we get it wrong. Hey, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I've got my fire insurance, right? That's, that's living life for you. Guess what? You're going to get to heaven and be sadly disappointed. Yeah, you'll be in heaven. You're going to be sadly disappointed because you never laid up treasure on, on, in heaven. You've just laid up treasure on their service. Here, I, I want to take you back to the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were so consumed with right now. They were so consumed with what was going on on this earth, they did not even care what was going on for eternity. You know, they were focused on, hey, did you keep the Sabbath? Hey, did you make sure that you wore the right garments today? I mean, Jesus, you can't heal that man on the Sabbath. I mean, these people, they're eating with unwashed hands. Sure, it's gross, but they were making it a law. They were taking what God had given for a law to keep people in line, and they were making it about now. So much so, guess what? They missed Jesus Christ. 
But Paul said, no, 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 no. Galatians, the book of Galatians is a fight against the law, living for this earth, and eternity. Eternity. Listen, Paul's goal, Paul's ideals were not about right now. They were about eternity. That's why he could say, I rejoice. Because people in Colossae were getting saved. People in Colossae were learning about Jesus Christ. People in Colossae now had a heavenly home. People in Colossae would be with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Paul wasn't necessarily worried about right now. He was worried about the kingdom of God. Winning spiritually is bigger than you. So we need to just think about that. It's not about coming to church every week and getting something. It's about coming to church every week and giving something. It's about every day getting up and getting something from God so that you can give something in the purpose of God. It's about getting up every day, reading your Bible so you can get something from God, praying so you can get something, encouragement from God, and then going out and living that and investing what you've gotten from God and giving it to every single person that you come into contact and laying up in heaven. We get it so wrong. And so many of us are losing our spiritual battle. If you will, we're just playing the game. We're in the game, but we're not really in the game. See, every single time, Jesus is our example. Every single time, Jesus is our example. So let's take a look at who Jesus was and what he did. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 1, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, watch this now, let us lay aside every weight and let us, in uh, and, and, and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I find it so interesting that the Bible uses sporting illustrations. Listen, let's run. Let's lay aside the things that are holding us down. Let's suffer a little bit and begin running the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus because it's about him. It's about who he is. Listen, we'll get distracted by all these things going on. Let's radically live like Jesus. Let's look to Jesus. Watch this now. The author and finisher of our faith. He's the author and finisher of it. He started it and he finished it. But not only is he the author and finisher of our faith, he's the example of our faith. Look at the rest of the verse. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus Christ is our example. Jesus Christ had joy in suffering. Why? Because it was for something greater. It, not something greater than him, because there's nothing greater than him. But it was for something bigger. The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world. The world. 
what, what, what was God's purpose? Let's, take a, let's just take a little Bible study. We've gone through this before in our church, but John chapter 1 and verse 29. What was Jesus' purpose? What was his joy? The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus' purpose was to take away the sin of the world. Matthew 9, 13. Jesus says, For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. John 9, 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, that they which see might be made blind. Hey, those people that are sinners, they're blinded by their sin. I want them to see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And those that think they can see because they're so righteous, I want to show them that they are just sinners. And I want them to be made blind. And listen, John 10.10, 10, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. John 12, 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. I want to give light to all men. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. See, Jesus Christ came to give us freedom, to ransom us, to purchase us, to make our debt reconciled. He suffered for a greater purpose. But the passage of Hebrews 12 doesn't stop there. Look at verse 3 with me. For consider him. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. What a phrase. We'll look at the end of this passage in just a minute, but what a phrase. Endured, he suffered what? He suffered the contradiction of sinners. Look at what the next few words say. Against himself. I want you to think about the suffering and agony Jesus went through. We think about his physical suffering, we really do, and I understand that. None of us want to suffer having a cat of nine tails wrapped around us and ripped off of us 39 times. But far greater than that, the physical suffering was when the sin of the entire world was placed upon him. He who knew no sin, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ came. He had the sin of the entire world placed upon him. And the Bible says that when that happened, God turned his back on him. And Jesus, the only time he cried out, he never cried out in agony from the physical pain. The only time he cried out was when God turned his back on him. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was the pain. He had never known sin before. It was against himself. It was against who he was. He suffered for a greater good. Christ endured pain, agony, suffering so that we could have a home in heaven. He endured so much. Listen, there has been, never been a greater investment into the kingdom of God than this single act of suffering. There's never been a greater investment ever in the history of mankind 
than Jesus dying on the cross for all to have access to the Father, for every single one. Let me ask this question, what did Jesus have to endure again? He endured the cross. He endured the scoffing. He endured the shame. He endured the crown of thorns. He endured the punching, the slapping. He endured the beard being ripped from his face. He endured the cat of nine tails 39 times. He endured the agonizing, shameful walk to Golgotha. He endured the hammer, the nails. He endured the blood. He endured the vinegar. He endured the lack of oxygen. He endured the mocking, the jeering. He endured the spear. He endured the shame of nakedness. But above all, he endured the contradiction of sinners contradiction of sinners against himself, the sin of the entire world being placed upon him. He endured so that we all could have a chance at coming to the Father. So that we all could have a chance at knowing that heaven is our home. His suffering invested in the kingdom of God. And guess what? Who, for the joy that was set before him. In fact, we know, just like all of us, that Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me. Because he knew the suffering that was about to entail. But the suffering led to something greater. The suffering led to a home in heaven for any who would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And here in Colossians chapter 1, Paul's doing the same. Paul's enduring shipwreck. Paul's enduring beatings. Paul's enduring being stoned to death. Paul's being enduring being whipped. Paul's enduring uh, being cast out. Paul's enduring being bitten by a snake. Paul's enduring all kinds of different things. And he says, listen, I now rejoice in my sufferings. I now rejoice. But look at what Paul's doing it for. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. Look again with me in verse 24. He says, Who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. Why? Here it is. For his body's sake. Not for Paul's body's sake, but for Christ's body's sake. Because look, he defines it, which is the church. Which is the church. Listen, Paul. everything Paul was doing was for the sake of the body of Christ. He was investing. He was investing into the kingdom of God. Listen, he, he, he said, I count not myself dear, but I forget those things which are behind, and I press forward to those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not about what's going on on this earth. Hear me, please. You can get frustrated by everything that's going on in this world, and I will be with you. By the way, if you're not frustrated by what's going on in this world yet, I don't know what will frustrate you. But it doesn't matter. Hear me. It doesn't matter what's going on on this earth. It's very simple. We don't care. We don't want to be distracted by the things of this earth. We get pharisaical when we begin focusing on the things of this earth. Listen, it's not about what's going on here. It's about what's going on in heaven. What we're doing to promote the cause of the gospel. Things will change. Guess what you have to do? you got to show up and you got to adapt. 
adapt. The world changes. The world gets frustrating. Listen, it's not about winning a battle here on this earth and getting your way. It's about getting God's way here on this earth. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will, we ought to be searching for God's will on this earth as it is in heaven. We ought to be looking unto Jesus. I promised you I'd finish that verse. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3. Paul is working for the church, suffering for the church that the church might have much more the cause of the gospel. Again, write this down. Suffering is only enjoyable when it's for something bigger than you. Look at the end of that verse, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Watch this. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Again, if you're running for you, you're going to get wearied and faint in your mind. There have been many days, many, many, many. Again, thank God. You can call me whatever you want, lazy, because you're probably right. There are many days that I do not want to get out of bed. But there's something bigger than me that I want to accomplish that day. I got out of bed Tuesday morning, never expecting to walk in and have somebody ask me, what must I do to be saved? I'm telling you, Tuesday morning was a day that I didn't want to get out of bed. And that doesn't happen every day. I wish it did. I wish every day was a Tuesday. But I want you to understand, something happened, not because of me. Please understand that. Something happened that day, and I had the opportunity just to invest in the kingdom of God. There's another child of God going to heaven now. Because some lazy bum got out of bed that day. Listen, so often we just want to do our own thing. Live our own lives. But isn't it about time that we got off the fence and just said, I'm going to invest everything I have. I'm going to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ and the gospel. For some of you, that might be giving up your job. For some of you, that might be changing a career. For some of you, that might be leaving your home where you are now, where you're comfortable, and going to a foreign mission field. I have no idea, but listen to me. God knows. And if you will suffer in this time, you will see great rewards in heaven. But if you don't, you don't. If you say, I'm just going to live my life now, you will get to heaven and you will hang your head before a holy, sacrificing, suffering Savior and say, oh, I wish I had given him more. The question today is simple. What are you willing to go through to win? Not just get by, but to win. What are you willing to suffer? Will you suffer giving up your thoughts, your views, 
about how to get to heaven and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There is only one way to heaven, it's through Jesus Christ. Are you willing to give up your wants and your desires for the cause of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to lay down your life for the good of the kingdom of God? Are you willing to right now, Paul says, now I'm, I'm rejoicing. Are you willing to right now to be a proactive investor? I'll give you one last verse and I'll be finished. Hebrews chapter 12, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Because of what Christ did for you, Romans chapter 11 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. Why? This is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't live life the way that you want to, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because of what Christ did for you, very simply, just invest your life back into him. The question is simple. Are you going to be proactive or reactive? Are you going to rejoice or regret? Don't live your life with regrets. Be proactive. The cost is much less. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, for all that you've done for us. Father, thank you for suffering. Suffering for us, paying our debt. It's simply reasonable that we invest our lives back to you. Father, if there's one here today or one listening online that does not know you as personal Savior, and I pray that today they would know because of their sin, there's an affliction, there is a war going on in their lives. Father, you came to give peace. You came to pay the debt. Father, would you please help them to see their need of Jesus Christ, their need of a Savior. Father, would you show them how you can be that, how you came and paid the penalty for their sin, how you died on the cross and rose again, conquering that sin. Father, would you please help them to understand that. And Father, for the rest who are saved, Father, would you convict us, myself included, please convict us. Please convict us that life lived comfortably is really not winning, not a life lived at all. That's not the abundant life that you've called us to. The abundant life that you call us to involves investment, which involves suffering. Father, would you help us to be proactive? Would you help us to get out of our comfort zone, live our lives for you? Father, we'll give you the honor and the glory for it. pray all these things in your name. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I think this is the most important time of the whole day. Time to make a decision. And again, if you're here in our service, you can come to this altar. There's room for you to kneel down and pray. I would challenge you, whether you're, if you're not comfortable with that, maybe you're at home. I challenge you to turn around and kneel at your seat. 
Maybe you don't want to do any of those things, but I would challenge you to make some sort of decision this morning. Again, as always, I challenge you to write it down so that you won't forget it. So maybe you need to write down, maybe it's time I get off the fence and start looking at something bigger than me. Maybe you need to write down, I am going to surrender my life today to invest in the kingdom of God. Maybe you even need to write down, I realize that there's going to be some suffering involved, but my goal is not things on this earth, but the things in heaven. 